we go. So um, I'm here with John Dorhauer, uh, who leads uh, Heisenberg Uncertainty Players. Yeah. Um, can you explain the name for those who don't know? Yeah. So uh, Werner Heisenberg was a German uh, physicist, uh, but it has nothing to do with him. It's ultimately a Breaking Bad reference. Uh-huh. Uh, when the band started, I think the show was in between its second and third seasons, so it was a bit like it was definitely in the cult hit status still uh-huh. before it blew up. So it was a bit more subversive of a reference at the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, now everyone's like, "Oh, I love Breaking Bad." So okay, all right, but yeah. it's nothing deeper than that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, so. Uh, how did, can you tell me a little bit about uh, how this group came to be? It formed in 2011, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, I had just completed grad school um, and realized that I both had enough charts to fill a book and knew enough people to field a band of original music. Mm-hmm. Um, and so was able to get a venue that would book us without having done any gigs, set up a few rehearsals, and then just kind of snowballed since then but it's always been a project devoted to original music very cool um and has the has the personnel changed very much since the beginning yeah there's a handful of people that have been regular members of the group the entire time but Mm -hmm. most chairs in the band have changed at least a couple times people move away just aren't able to make the gigs on a regular enough basis uh so it's been a fairly fluid personnel over our Mm -hmm. eight years of existence do you feel like your writing or arranging (coughs) as excuse me um do you feel like um it changes at all according to like what personnel you know you're gonna have on hand like are you ever like oh like this certain person is gonna be in there like i want them to like have a solo on this one tune or anything like that yeah um and i'll write pieces with specific performers in mind Mm -hmm. Um, and as the personnel has changed, I feel like my approach to writing for the group has changed as well. Mm -hmm. Like generally it's gone from, um, well, there's always been elements of groove and improvisation, but it's, I guess, progressed a little bit more towards written out ideas as opposed to leaving more elements up to chance Mm -hmm. as a general rule of thumb. And I think that's been partially through the evolution of personnel. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Um, so I'm um, just looking at it as a big band and I'm painting with a broad brush here, mm-hmm. but um, I've heard people say, you know, talk about big band as being a little bit of like a throwback kind of mm-hmm. um, and, you know, kind of like an old form almost um, without, you know, not trying to put any negative connotations sure. on it at all. But um do you feel like what I think is interesting about uh, this group in particular is that like it's a big band, so it's somewhat of an old form that like kind of started with like dance halls and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But you're bringing like new uh, new compositions, new arrangements, like doing like contemporary kind of um, like pop and rock music. Yeah. Um, do you ever feel? Do you feel like given the form and given the material that you perform? Do you feel like that kind of bridges age groups and, and like in terms of how you engage audiences? Yeah, I think so. Um, because as you were saying, I think a jazz big band comes with a certain uh, connotation baked into it mm-hmm. already. 
Um, and I think that we, our music definitely pays homage to big bands of the past, but not really trying to duplicate that or do something even similar to that. But it, it's inherently part of the formula. So I do think that there is a bit of appeal to fans of big band music, uh, but we very consciously try to do something unique to that by blending elements of rock and pop music um classical as well contemporary music um and so it's i i think my goal with it is something that's going to appeal to a wide swath of people both young and old i don't know if it actually does that but that's that's the hope (laughs) yeah one i mean one can hope you know yes (laughs) um do you ever get like older people like at your in your audiences who are like you guys play weird stuff <laughs> like they want you to play something that's a little more classic? Um not too often. Okay. We do have some older people in the audience but they tend to be uh equally weird old people oh, I think. Oh good. Um so that I think they're actually receptive to uh our more adventurous approach to the group. Um Yeah. I think if they weren't intrigued by it, they probably just weren't showing up to begin with. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with, uh, I think it's interesting. You're So one of the shows that you're about to do um, or that's coming up is uh, a performance of all of Abbey Road. Yes. Or your arrangements of Abbey Road. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, you know, just kind of looking at the things that you've done before with this group. Um with Abbey Road coming up and the sort of Coliseums project that you guys did before. Yeah. Um, I sense that um, this is a group that's geared towards kind of these like larger long form things and that you're not just doing pop arrangements of like this tune or this tune. I mean, although there's Mm -hmm. some of that. Um, Yeah. And it's actually a little of both. mm -hmm. Um, So the Abbey Road thing actually started just as one arrangement from Abbey Road and then kind of grew from there. So it mm-hmm. didn't really start as the idea for doing this whole album. Um, the first arrangement from it that I did, I actually did several years ago, and was of the Golden Slumbers medley at the very end of the album. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because I was really fascinated with that as a composition, um, especially structurally, I think it does some really interesting things. Um and then as the 50-year anniversary of the album was approaching, I kind of realized, you know, it might be an interesting performance to do the whole thing, and then we can use the 50-year tie-in, because uh, it came out in 69, so this year's now the 50-year anniversary of it. That's bananas. I know. <laughs> um, it's and, almost upsetting. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, I guess I wasn't alive for it, so... I don't feel too old yet, but I like mean, there are same, big anniversaries. But... Yeah, I, I I didn't think you were 50. <laughs> but yeah, there are anniversaries of albums coming out. They're like the 30-year anniversary that I was alive for. And it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, I am yeah. <laughs> um, but I, once I got the idea for the project, I thought it was um, kind of freeing for me as an arranger in some ways because I didn't have to arrange each song the same way because like if I'm doing the whole album like I can take one arrangement in one direction and then do another one in a completely different direction so like some of them are pretty close to the original recordings Mm -hmm. as far as like an adaptation for jazz big band but some of them get 
pretty far afield as far as uh, harmonies or form or groove. Um, and I think you can take those liberties with a little bit more confidence knowing that there's a good variety. Like some of them sound like the record, but other ones maybe less so. Yeah, there's like an overall tie-in so they can there can be like greater yeah. arrangement type diversity. Yeah, and in general, the ones that were more well-known, I tried to get a bit more out with them. Yeah. Um, and the ones that are perhaps lesser known to the broader public kept them closer to the record just as kind of like mm-hmm. um, a way for them to get to know the original music a little better. Are you ever arranging like pop tunes and stuff, uh, like pop and rock music, and sometimes you get like too far out, and then you're like, "This is very weird and very cool, but there's not as much in here that people are gonna be able to latch on to." Um, I feel like if I have, I haven't come to that realization. <laughs> you're just like, "Well, here we are." <laughs> and I actually think that's a fun approach to arranging rock and pop music especially ones that are pretty well known mm-hmm. um and some of them like i pretty consciously try to take out as far away as i can and then like somehow tie it back in because i think that's that allows people to hear those songs in a completely different way and i think that's kind of interesting yeah in a way totally um <clears throat> oh i think the other half of my question with you know the fact that you've done some of this like more like long form kind of stuff mm-hmm. um do you feel sometimes like and maybe you don't feel like there's any danger of anyone hearkening back to like dance hall big band kind of stuff but do mm-hmm. you have, do you feel like doing more long form stuff that almost like uh evokes more the sense of like an album or like a just like a longer form piece do you feel like that takes it successfully takes your big pan- band performance away from like dance hall tradition and more into the realm of like focused engaged listening? Yeah, I I guess I'd never really thought of it, but I think you make a good point that like when you think of dance hall, it's not a complete album, it's just like individual songs. Yeah, that it's are like pieced tunes together. that people can bop to. Yeah. Um and so even though, I don't know that that's conscious, I, I definitely think that's a part of it, at least subconsciously. Um, I think the main reason I've grown to build these performances, like complete uh, self-contained performances, is that I came to the realization early on that people are just not interested in seeing a new music big band if that's all that it is. Right. It has uh, to and so have you have to like a hook. Yeah, some kind of tie in that welcomes people that wouldn't normally go to a performance like that. Mm-hmm. So with the Coliseum's piece that you were talking about, that was well it's uh all original composition whereas most of these other projects we're doing are mostly arrangement based, but that mm-hmm. was all original music. Um and it was a nine-movement suite where each movement was written as an homage to a baseball stadium that had been tor- torn down. Uh, the full title was We Tear Down Our Coliseums, with the idea being that we create these very extravagant and expensive structures, but then 20 years later we convince ourselves that they're obsolete, yeah. um, which is not only a tremendous burden to taxpayers that are often obligated to fund it, but also culturally we have no lasting impact. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of like an artistic rumination on that. Um, and I'm a big baseball fan, so it's <laughs> kind of a fun exploration yeah. for that as well. Um, but my brother, who's a painter, did paintings for each of the stadiums, um, for each of the nine movements. Um, and the like 
style in- influence wise, it kind of ran a pretty wide gamut as far as like some of it was kind of standard big band stuff. Some of it was more classical contemporary. Mm-hmm. Others had elements of rock um, and, and pop. Um, and so that was kind of like my first big foray into a more experimental approach to big band, both structurally having the long form piece and also stylistically mm-hmm. as well. But we got people that were interested in jazz music, other types of music, but also baseball and even architecture and history. So oh, very cool. kind of an interesting way of uh, tying together a lot of otherwise disconnected elements. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, um, yeah that kind of ties into another question I had just because I know having read your bio, I know that you've done like a lot of other what I guess would people would think of as more like contemporary classical mm-hmm. side of composition. Um, and it sounds like it sounds like you do a fair mix of more like what could definitely be thought of as jazz and what could be thought of more as contemporary classical. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like generally you're blending those both co- pretty consistently or I mean, are yeah, you- I, I think so. And like each piece that I write for Heisenberg, I don't necessarily go into it thinking I'm writing for a jazz big band. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's more like, um, this is the instrumentation that I have to work with and I'm going to see what I can do with it. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest thing that's changed as far as my writing process has gone with the band. Whereas when I started with the band, like I was very much writing in a big band idiom or approach, even if it wasn't necessarily sounding like an Ellington or a Basie tune. Um, but now like I kind of think of it just as like a chamber ensemble or chamber orchestra um, and try to like use the different instruments and what they can do on their own in unique ways. Um, and I think, and maybe this goes on a bit of a tangent, but one of my bigger pet peeves with jazz music in general is that it tends to think very restrictive formally. And mm-hmm. like, I think a lot of people... Uh, take their leaps and, and become adventurous in kind of an improvisatory way and use it as a showcase for um, individual improvisation and virtuosity. Whereas like I'm more interested in um, creating something that has goes in more directions formally and like uh, comes up with something that you're not going to expect. So like I consciously try to avoid a head solo head right format mm-hmm. um maybe i'm using that as a template but trying to like come up with a more nuanced way of bringing back the head or mm-hmm. something like that um and so that's another part of my writing that i think has evolved with the band as it's gone through the years very cool um as far as the writing goes um are there other people in the band who do some of the writing and arranging it's almost all my music at this point um when it started, there were a few others that were writing for the group, uh, but most of them uh, are no longer active with the group for various reasons. Um, and so Heisenberg has kind of like evolved into just kind of like my own writing mm-hmm. voice. Um, yeah, we, uh, our guitar player has a couple charts in the book as well, and we have someone that plays saxophone that's contributed a couple charts. Um, but it's, it's, it's mostly my stuff. stuff at this yeah. point, yeah. Um, so I want to get into some of the details of these two shows you guys have coming up. Um, the one on Tuesday, April 30th is at Riverside Brookfield High School, right? That's correct. And, um, 
you told me you're doing arrangements of symphonic movements from yes the 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 big guys um <laughs> some of the heavy hitters the heavy hitters yeah can you tell me a little bit about that yeah um so we are doing uh four arrangements of mine three of which are movements from symphonies so we're doing the first movement of Beethoven's third symphony, the third movement of Brahms' third symphony, and the first movement of Mahler's third symphony. And then we're also doing my arrangement transcription of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer's arrangement of Aaron Copland's Hoedown. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's really cool. <laughs> oh my gosh, cool. I do think it's funny that I especially like we were talking about doing more like the long form stuff and you're mm -hmm. doing individual movements from symphonies. <laughs> yeah. But like collectively it's like a long totally. performance. Totally. I hear you. Yeah. No, that, that just struck me as a little bit funny. <laughs> <laughs> have you, I mean, have you ever done like whole symphonies before? Uh, not with Heisenberg, uh, but maybe that's our next. Yeah. What would, departure. I mean, do you have like, is there like a big classical piece that you would, is sort of like your dream piece like down the road well i mean it'd probably be one of the ones that i've already started on uh but Mahler three is definitely like my go-to classical jam awesome. uh, it's like one of my <laughs> biggest influences the one you as a writer. To. yes, yes. <laughs> very cool um and okay so you have this uh fulton street collective show uh on may 22nd mm -hmm. um so this is the one that's all of Abbey Road. Yes, we're doing Abbey Road in its entirety in album order. Excellent. Okay, and that's part... Is this part of the Jazz Record Art Collective? Yes. Shindig? Yeah, it is. Okay. What... What is... Like, I don't know very much about that. I've been mm -hmm. to one of their shows. Yeah. Um, They pretty much just, like, recreate performances from records. Yeah, so the basic idea is they take a classic album uh, in jazz history and then bring it to life in live performance. And it could be like they try to play it as close to the record as possible, like a transcription type thing. It could be that you take this album that people know and love and present it in a different way. Um, and we're definitely doing the latter yeah. track. Um, I mean, Abbey Road is not technically a jazz album. Um, but it's Details. <laughs> yeah. But I do think it's an album that kind of transcends genre boundaries oh, in a yeah. way and it's an album that is loved by classical and jazz people alike i think mm -hmm. and like people have drawn influence from it um and with us being a, a jazz big band even though we're not necessarily staying completely in that lane um like it 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 works yeah yeah at least they thought so i guess <laughs> <laughs> do you have do you have any favorite arrangements of, of yours like your own arrangement do you have ones that you're like yes i am very proud of i mean i hope you're proud of the whole thing but like <laughs> uh yeah um from the abbey road uh show in particular um uh if i had to single out one it would be octopus's garden very cool. um which i wrote as kind of an homage to another writer of big band music who's a big influence of mine um a composer by the name of Django Bates mm -hmm. um and specifically his arrangement of New York New York is one that has long fascinated me um where it takes the tune and just like completely implodes it 
So like there's there's actually a singer singing the melody, which is fairly recognizable, but just about everything else is completely deranged from it. And there's a lot of postmodern cacophonic polyphony in there. There's like a lot of really interesting that stuff that you would never expect. That was such expend. a cl- like contemporary classical sentence you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a cliche. No, it's fine. <laughs> I loved it. Oh, wait, 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 wait. That was postmodern cacophonic polyphony polyphony that was perfect that okay. was perfect that's gonna be the name <laughs> of your you memoir yes. um, <laughs> that's our next album um so uh what all else um does the do you have any other things on the docket or like potential projects um for the band yeah so the big thing after this is we're going to be working on our first studio album which Ooh. we're recording later this summer um and hope to be out sometime early 2020 um but that'll be all original compositions of mine uh actually uh the Mahler is going to be on that so great public domain arrangement yes yeah (laughs) yeah i considered doing abbey road like recording that uh but it just ended up being too much of a headache trying to procure rights and and all that yeah i thought it'd be crazy um and we've got ample original music so there's a lot of stuff to draw from the main uh feature piece from that and that this might actually be another future performance down the road that we haven't planned yet um but i i have a four movement suite called the basketball suite where uh each of the four movements is kind of inspired by an aspect of the modern nba Mm um and i guess it's kind of um related to the coliseum's piece uh dealing with baseball but like it's not these aren't uh written for specific like tangible things like for example um one of the movements is called switch everything with the idea being that there's a trend in modern nba defense where instead of guarding one-on-one and each person guards their respective position they will switch on to any other player from the opposing team. So if they get put in a pick and roll, then instead of having to chase their guy around the pick, they'll just switch off. And so this is kind of very fluid approach. And in the composition, like I uh, have various members improvising and it kind of like freely moves from one to the other. And so it's trying to abstractly um, mirroring these elements of basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of a groove-based, pop-based um style so it kind of uh fits my recent writing pretty well um but again going back to the idea of like trying to build things around ideas that will uh invite people from outside circles yeah very cool um and you have uh do you have an ongoing residency we have two actually okay um so as a big band as the full 17 piece big band we play the second sunday of every month at phyllis's musical inn which is in Wicker Park uh, on Wood and Division. Um, uh, we play from seven to nine, two sets there. Um, and we've been doing that for several years now. The summer months are always nice because they have an outdoor beer garden. <gasps> and when the weather's good, we go out there and play. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so we're hoping next month it'll be good enough to do that. But usually at least June, July, August, September. will be outside for that. And then we also play as a small group, as a six-piece, at uh, this new venue called the Chicago Magic Lounge. And we're there the first Monday of every is, month. Is there literal magic there? Yes. I don't know how I feel about that. I feel nervous. 
I honestly, I kind of felt that way at first too, but it's a really cool experience. Do people like come up to you and do magic at you? Not while we're on stage, but like for the uh, for paying patrons. Oh, okay. Yes. So uh, we play two sets, and while we play on stage, they have two to four magicians that walk around from table to table and do sleight of hand like for each table. Oh my god! But what if I want to like be there and listen? Are they going to get up in my face and do magic at me? The no, not if you're okay. like. Please I'm not trying away. to sound yeah. ungrateful about the magic, but I also like want to listen. Like if I'm yeah, not, it's you know? like uh, I think usually like they'll come up to each table once in a set, okay. so it's not like you're constantly bombarded. I'm sorry, I'm asking for very specific details. No, no, this, this is great. It's it is a really unique and kind of unprecedented experience. So like mm-hmm. it's like I didn't really know how it was going to work before I started doing it. Yeah, either. you're like, how is this magic going to be? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then during our breaks, one of the magicians comes up on stage and oh, does okay. a set. Um, but yeah, like I kind of thought the magic was going to be cheesy, but like it's legitimately entertaining and these guys are incredibly talented oh, and good at what they cool. do. So like, okay, it's, it's, it's fun for us to play it, but just both because like we get an opportunity to play and like we get to magic. see some magic too. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. So um where can people find you guys online uh they can go to our website which is huplayers.com so you don't have to spell out the whole thing who players yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) um and then we're on facebook and instagram and twitter as well and then i have my own website johndorhauer.com very cool and um are you? I was trying to look. I mean, I know people should buy the EP. It's an EP that you guys have out already. Yes. Yeah. People yeah. Should, it's it's pretty old. People should <laughs> buy it, but like, is it available to stream on like on streaming services at all? Uh, n- no. Okay. I just thought I would double check. Yeah. I, for it. I don't think it ever had been, like it came out like before Spotify before the was proliferation like Uber. Of, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but come to one of our shows, I'll happily give them a copy. <laughs> Excellent. I've got okay. a few still left over. All right. But people can also check out like lots of, I was looking at a lot of your guys' videos on the mm-hmm. website and stuff, and there's a lot of really cool stuff to listen to and watch. Yeah. And, and a lot of our stuff is up on YouTube. Yeah. Um, we've got some stuff on SoundCloud as well. So there are opportunities to just check it out online without the actual physical disc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Anything else that you think people should know? Um, yeah, one other thing I can plug, uh, it's, and it's not Heisenberg related, but I'm part of another jazz big band that does all original music, uh, but every member of the group is a writer for oh, the group, excellent. and they're called the Chicago Composers Big Band. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, and they, uh, we had our first show in February at Constellation, and we're playing again at Wire in May um on the 14th which is a tuesday night excellent um the guri middle school jazz band is opening the show one of the members is the director there and then ryan adamson's medium ensemble is on the bill as well and then uh our show is built around the theme of film music oh very cool so everyone's uh doing an arrangement of either a song from a movie or a score or even writing their own piece inspired by film oh awesome! Um, but yeah that's another all original big band group that'd be cool to check out 
Excellent. The big band scene is alive and well. In yes. Chicago, apparently. There's a surprisingly large number of large on jazz ensembles doing original music. It's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a nice time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> All right. So check out um, johndorhauer.com, huplayers.com. Um, you can catch Heisenberg Uncertainty Players uh, on Tuesday, April 30th at Riverside Brookfield High School um, and also Wednesday, May 22nd at Fulton Street Collective. Um, yes. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you for having me. This was yeah. a lot of fun. Uh, I look forward to hearing more of you guys. Awesome. <laughs>